I don't think I've ever been to a country where the food was consistently good. It was consistently fantastic and I didn't expect that of Greek food. I walked into the exhibition space and I stood in front of Starry Night by Vincent van Gogh. Just him and I, just hanging out. No one there, not one person, not one guard, no one there. Just me and the artwork. I reckon Port Adelaide was happier than Richmond when Richmond beat Adelaide. Port Adelaide, they had their own celebration. Forget the Tigers. For Port Adelaide, that was like a victory of their own. Can you believe these words came out of my mouth? This is what came out of my mouth. This is a shock. I said, you're the man of the house. Fix the bloody thing. He's going on the non-carbs at the moment, which I did think was pretty funny. I said, me too. And I'm looking at me and looking at him and going, which one of these people really needs to go off carbs? Certainly not you, Chris. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello, everyone. Episode 43 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Corey Perkin. And once again, joined by my friend and bridesmaid and Leyland and Brothers adventurer back from Greece, Caroline Wilson. Great to be back, Corrie. It really is a good city to come home to, Melbourne. Oh, it's true. It is true. It is a great city to return home to. Maybe all people's homes are good places to return home to, but it's not so bad being back in the throes of a Melbourne winter. How was that washing? Um, yeah, there's a lot of washing, but it's great to have a good washing machine again. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> Creature comforts of home. I, we, we've got a bit of a group WhatsApp of the group who were at this beautiful place in Greece that I'll tell you about, but um, we're called the... Left, left Kitties, because it was called Lefkus or Left Carter, written about extensively by Lawrence Durrell in his book on the Greek islands. I said, you know, the benefits of being home, good hair, good coffee, <laughs> and being able to unwrap all, wrap all the lovely things you've bought, you the good got, napery you've bought overseas. You would have got good coffee in Greece, wouldn't you? It wasn't bad, but, you know, Melbourne has the best coffee in the world. It's very true. We've got lots to talk about tonight, Caro. Of course, we want to talk about your trip and where you went and what you saw and what you read. Um, so you've got some book recommendations and you have a movie recommendation and a recipe too. Oh, I've been busy. Really, um, you put me to work. Well, I'm just going to kick back. Uh, we will pay tribute to a couple of fine gentlemen of Australian sport who passed away in the last couple of weeks. I went to the MoMA exhibition at the National Gallery of Victoria, so I'll give everyone a bit of a heads up about that. And, of course, I want your thoughts, Caro, just following up on what our guest podster Jared Waitley and myself were talking about last week in episode 42. Well, I'm glad you got Jared Adelaide, on. Adelaide Footy Club. Yeah, well, look, because before... he's often asking us about, um, he's often asking me for recipes that we do on our show. Well, he wants to join us for um, coastal scrabble and champagne, he said. But did he end up making the prawn pillows? Yes, for, he did. Well, his wife, his Claire did. Yes, yeah. he did. But I suggested a, a prawn pillow bake-off with yourself and he seemed quite happy to do that. <laughs> I did want to send a big bouquet of thanks to Jared. Uh, he was great. Miss Jane was great. Everybody was wonderful last week. We received some rather nice feedback from potties out there, so thanks for that. But it was lovely to have Jared Waitley uh, keeping me company. And I should also uh, send a huge hug to Mrs. Waitley, Claire, because she, um, she, even whether she liked it or not, she was mentioned quite a lot in that episode. I felt like she was in the studio with us. But well, she's, I mean, she's been a great supporter of the podcast. She Claire. has. I don't know how she can watch her husband put 300 mils of cream into his spaghetti creole dish. Our friend Jeff Slattery, the former restaurateur and Melbourne journalist, texted me as soon as he heard the podcast. He often texts after our recipes, so, so I'm glad he's he to form. <laughs> anyway, I did say to Jared that we'd, we'd all come around and have a dinner party. Where does place. he put it? He certainly doesn't look like he's eating 300 mils versus very skinny, cream. Very skinny chap. Look, no awful housekeeping uh, or apologies, I should say, to report, but just a few really nice comments, Caro, um, in your absence. Uh, this is from Lisa G on Facebook, on our Facebook page. Hi, ladies. I hope this finds you well. Recently, while listening to Corey on John Fain's ABC radio program, I was made aware of your podcast. As someone who travels approximately 40,000 kilometres a year. What? As a sales manager for Melbourne-made Humphrey Law Socks, and she has in brackets, that's a little bit of a plug. Well, hello, everyone at Humphrey Law Socks. Uh, She says, I'm always looking for podcasts other than the true crime ones I have indulged in. Hence, I have now listened to the first four of yours, and I am hooked. So that's really lovely, Lisa. Thanks for that. And um, Susie Stroud, also on Facebook, said, Most Thursday nights I pour a wine in a bath and relax to you two bids. Oh, and Jared and the other boys (laughs) in our lives. 
I don't wonder the way she meant to write birds and it came out bids. Anyway. I, I think she probably did mean birds, Corrie. Yeah. Oh, no, biddies. Maybe yeah, we're maybe all biddies. Well, we are all biddies. And then on our Carol and Corrie Instagram, it was really nice to get a couple of um, mentions um, and, and acknowledgements of Jared. Uh, Middle Park Mum is her name. She said, great podcast. Finally got a chance to listen uninterrupted. Worth the wait. Batman and the Lion said, great podcast, Corrie and Jared. Uh, thank you for that. And um, I gave Jared my gift to him was a pair of hand warmers, Caro, which uh, you use in golf or sport or, um, you know, just if you've got cold little paws. Yes. And Leonie JC said, mm, hand warmers, looks intriguing or just an antidote to Chris Melbourne winter mornings. Well, it is an antidote. I recommend them. Just don't put them in your pocket with your lipstick like my friend Val did at golf because her lipstick melted. I wondered what the photo in the hand warmer caption was all about, so thank you for clearing that up for me. I, I didn't know what was going on in my absence. So tell us about the trip. Where did you go and what did you do? Well, I went away for two and a half weeks. It was a great holiday. Do you um, think two and a half weeks is long enough? Oh, you know, you could always add on an extra week and it would have been even nicer, but no, it was fantastic. I, it, it wasn't... At the end, I didn't think, oh, this is unfair. I haven't had a long enough holiday. It was fantastic. We... Um, started our holiday in the south of France in Provence at a beautiful little hotel in a hilltop village where we spent three nights and where I celebrated my birthday, had an absolute ball. Anna from the op shop even called in. Yes, she she was staying at at another villa somewhere. She was renting a house in Menton near the Italian border, Mm. or Mentone as they were calling it, but it didn't sound very like Mentone to me. It was absolutely beautiful. So we had a gorgeous lunch. We had a lovely three days. We then met up with a group group of friends in Athens where we had a night, beautiful dinner overlooking the Acropolis and a big walk around Athens the next morning, much changed from the Olympics when I was last there, much greener, and I felt a lot more built up and more interesting and more renovated. But others say they're disappointed in Athens. Did, so. did you have a sense of the economy on the nose or did it feel reasonably optimistic? Well, it looked a lot better than during the Olympics where it was a bit of a dive. So um, a lot of unfinished buildings and a lot of houses with um, roofs incomplete. because well, They're, only they're to, called ruins. You, no, no, you only have to pay tax once you've finished your house. So people pretend they're building another story and they leave an exposed roof, Corrie. If you've been following the International Economy articles, you would know this. Anyway, um, that was great. Um, after a night and a day in Athens, we we went and we all of us got into this little mini bus, eight of us, and we drove five hours through the Peloponnese, past some beautiful coastal scenery. Oh, how gorgeous! And ended up in a beautiful island in the Ionian Sea. Um, so we spent we there were six couples. You're on the west coast. Of Greece, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. So Corfu is the best known of all those islands, and that's like two miles from Albania. So it's very close to Albania. We were further down. It wasn't really an island. You get there via a causeway, but a beautiful, unspoiled green island, and lots of lovely little islands around it. We had a boat. I mean, it was dreamy. It was dreamy. Up every morning, swam about a kilometre, back up to the house for breakfast, out in the boat swimming. Another Taverna somewhere. Read, Another, lots, read lots of books. Read heaps of books, oh, which I'll tell good. you about in a minute. Um, then a late afternoon siesta. We didn't probably eat dinner most nights till 10 o'clock. You just got into Greek time so quickly. Then um, our last five days, um, we flew to Crete and um, we flew to Heracleon and we stayed at a alongside a town called Agios Nikolas in a beautiful hotel which and that was in the Aegean, so we'd just dive into the Aegean every day, and we rented a car. One other couple did day trip, and one other friend from Sydney did day trips. A beautiful holiday. So you um, you, Greece you're, is you're, warm and cheap and friendly and great food, and the I water's the incredible. Food. I've I don't think I've ever been to a country where the food was consistently good. Mm. It was consistently fantastic, and I didn't expect that of Greek food, and much more varied. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it, everything is cooked pretty simply. You can't muck up a good piece of goat or a good piece of fish. So much fish and so much seafood and, you know, the, the warm dolmades and the stuffed zucchinis. Oh, stop it. Okay, and this is a nighttime podcast gang out there and Jane was, and I are now salivating, although Caro has bought us a bottle of Pinot to get us through the event. Now, this is Pinot isn't quite as nice as the one I bought last time from Vintage Cellars. I saw your friend. Um, Alf. To, yeah, to get and... Um, we love Alf. Did he give, sorry, he tipped you into this one? Well, he gave me a few different varieties, and this is actually bought with the last lot, but this one, it's quite nice. It's so a Crittenden. So this is the Crittenden, Crittenden Estate. Oh, Carol, it's 2017. 
It's not very old. Oh, well, sorry. I mean, <laughs> hey, listen, don't look a gift horse, Corrie. Anyway, thanks, Vintage Sellers, for that. We always love your wine. Very, um, very nice to be drinking. I, I, I think I've drunk in the. In, I've been home three days, and in three days, I reckon I've drunk as much as I drank in half a day. Okay, so <laughs> so you and I talk a lot about alcohol. I just want you to know that Jared Waitley and I last week did not talk once about alcohol. Well, you know what it's like on holidays. <laughs> the first rosé at about you know two o'clock in the world. So, are there any dramas? Any downsides? Lost luggage. No lost luggage. Um, Passport I'll, goes into the swimming pool. Um, I'll come back to the lost luggage, to the question about luggage and with my GLT. But um, no lost luggage, not a fight or a yike, as my father would say. Um, we got on really well. We had it. We you always remember when you go away with your partner how much you enjoy their their company. I reckon. Oh, that's nice. Don't you think? Oh well, I don't know. And how you really <laughs> like the same things. I mean, you know, walking through the Met Foundation in the in Provence and. You know, going for a swim in the most clear, beautiful It's nice to be and... young again, and holidays do allow us to be what, young. What Whether I you're find... with your kids or with your partner or a couple of girlfriends or something, you just go back to your, I reckon, probably your 22-year-old self. Yes, and it's impossible to travel the way we used to where you really felt isolated because we've all got, we're all online and, you know, there's Wi-Fi at most of the places you go to, et cetera, et cetera, and you keep up with the footy and what's happening and I saw you'd replace me with Jared while I was away and all of that sort of stuff. But it is an amazing thing to, in 24 hours, be on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable. Culturally, it just never ceases to fascinate me that you're in this little French village just so far away well, from I, everything I, you're used the to. The thing that strikes me always is the is the weather. So you, you at this time of year, you arrive and there are leaves on trees, and you yep. can hear the birds in the morning when you oh. wake up. All of that sort of the toilet seat's not cold. And everywhere <laughs> you walk, there's oleander and bougainvillea, and the, the, you know these beautiful roses. And uh, it's it's quite it's extraordinary how the world is so big and so different. We lost a couple of uh, very fine soldiers while you were away. One, Dave Austin, I'll talk about him in a moment, who was a colleague of ours at The Age. But um, I know that you wanted to talk to, talk about the uh, golfing great Peter Thompson because I think you're going to his service or your dad certainly is tomorrow or the next day. It's on, this week. on Thursday, yeah. All the family will be going. Well, my mother's overseas. He's still swanning around. But, um, yeah, Peter Thompson and an unbelievable figure in all of our lives and in Australian sporting history. I mean, to think of what he did for Australian golf, and he could have won six British Opens. I mean, he, he lost one on a playoff, and I think he believes he probably should have won that too. He won five British Opens. He continued to be a wonderful golfer well into his 50s and 60s, conquered the American Masters Circuit. He was one an of the first Aussies to, Aussies to actually do the veteran circuit, wasn't he, yep. golf? Yep, and he, I mean, a, a great golf course designer, um, a great so believer in social issues. I mean, the first chairman of Odyssey House. I still remember the blue he had with Ronald McDonald when The Age did a, a big expose on Odyssey House, um, none of which, the, the issues involved were none of his doing. Um, we grew up, we knew the Thompson kids growing up. My sister and my brother were at school with two of his children, so I knew them very well. He was just a fascinating man and a, a great encourager of mine. He worked, um, his, his last, I think, probably public interview that he did, or certainly I believe it was the last one he did, was at Sorrento Golf Club where he's a member and Brendan, my husband, interviewed him. And it was just such a wonderful night and he was so interesting mm. about golf. He was just so interesting. But the golf courses he designed, the golfers he mentored from you know, Kelnagel on, I mean, he, he's just been such a well, huge also, figure Carol, in Well, also, Carol, he lives. was a fantastic golf writer. So when... Yeah, um, he wrote for the age, Yeah, of so when he was... He, he became a mate of my dad's and my family's as well because... Uh, I think in the late 60s, early 70s, Dad approached him about writing golf columns and he wrote like a dream, a bit like Mike Clayton does actually. He's a fine, fine golf writer and a fine golfer. You realise the loss when you actually hear the words of the people. We had an event at the shop a couple of years ago for Peter Thompson who was not all that well but he lived around the corner from the shop. He came to the shop and Tony Walker had written this book about him and uh, there was just a lovely chat about golf in the room and Peter was so dignified and only said a few words but really interesting and really um, astute. 
And I have to give a little plug to uh, the um, aforementioned Jeff Slattery and also my brother because they did a few years ago, they did a book with Peter Thompson and it's called A Life in Golf, Peter Thompson and Steve Perkin and it's being re-released, Caro. Uh, Slats is doing a quick top and tail so to oh, include good. his death and it will, it's going off to the printers tomorrow, Jeff told me today, and it'll be on sale in about three or four weeks great little paperback but it's Peter's reflections on golf and it's not just a a strict autobiographical format with Steve being the ghostwriter Steve just asks him questions like you know what's the best par three that you've ever played Um, which was the best British Open what's the importance of family when you're on tour you know all these sorts of great questions and it's a wonderful book and so it'll be out for Father's Day so uh, people should have a look at that 26.95 it will be probably at my bookshop oh there's there's a good plug and a worthwhile one the other the the biography he did do funnily enough was another which was done in the early 90s was with Peter Mitchell the Channel 7 news reader oh I didn't know that now Caro we have to say farewell to another friend and colleague in the sports arena David Austin not a name that a lot of people will recall certainly not in recent years because Dave retired from the age a few years ago but he's a former sports editor and a former chief sports sub at the age. And he is one of the most elegant writers I have who ever put fingers to a typewriter in that old Spencer Street building. And he was a very dear friend of all of us. And I first met Dave when I was a kid swinging, swinging my dad's hands through the office of the age. I'd sometimes go in with dad on a Sunday and Dave would be there. And then when I joined the paper when I was 17, Dave was one of the first of the old guard to come over and say hello and to make sure that I knew that he was always there, if I ever needed any help or someone to read my copy or anything like that. Yeah, he was like um, that, wasn't he? He was so like that. And then a couple of years later, I was moved to the sports department and where I became the first female football reporter, which was a whole new thing. And Oh, I thought that, oh no, that's right, it was you. Yes, that's right, <laughs> it wasn't you, it was me. And Dave was the poor bugger who had to handle my copy, particularly in the early weeks when I didn't know what I was doing. I don't know how I cobbled together match reports and injury stories and I had too many adjectives and... You know, I've had a propensity to focus on the emotional rather than the actual game itself. But Dave was there handling it um, with silk gloves and what a perfectionist he was and what a charming man. You would have loved it the other day. So everybody met at a local tennis club to say farewell to Dave. And it was like an age reunion. Uh, it was like all the subs from the sports desk. I feel like I had to go around and apologise to each of them. You know, sorry, I was so <laughs> shocking. And then the lineup of great sports reporters, you know, Mike Sheen, Jeff Slattery, Glenn Lester, who I still think is one of the finest racing writers in Australia, Alan Atwood, Peter Wilmoth. Uh, your dad was there. And there were also he a few... Went to, he went to school with Dave. Yeah, well, there are a few others, um, not many from Dave's old Geelong grammar days, including his best mate, Bob Bainziger, who made a speech which was affectionate and funny and full of nostalgia. And I guess the kind of speech that reminds us why old friendships are so important and they become as thick as putty, really. they just... Uh, the bond between those two chaps was extraordinary. Uh, a lovely co-speech delivered by Mike Sheen and Jeff Slattery, and they had a lovely quote from Les Carline, the famous um, writer, sports writer, who said, Dave was one of the greats. As a copy handler, he was superb. Sadly, he has never received his due, which is absolutely true. Um, and uh, Slats and Mike had many funny stories. Um, he, But they also paid tribute to his ability to lay out the broadsheet page, which doesn't exist anymore, and um, how he'd use sidebars and overlays and display pictures, and he was always calm under pressure with the deadline, serene, never raised his voice. Alan Atwood told me a funny story, which Slats and Mike actually referred to, that when Alan first went to sport as a young cub reporter, someone said to him, now Dave Austin, get on the right side of him and you'll be fine, son. There are two things he loves. One is the Tigers and the other is history. So Alan hunted around and his first story was about Richmond veterans. <laughs> Dave loved it and gave it a full like overlay on the back page. You know, oh, smart move. He actually wrote me a really beautiful letter when I – I've still got the letter he wrote me when I was in year 12 or then, then known as HSC and knowing that I wanted to be – and I was applying for a cadetship at both the Age and the Herald and the Sun um, – encouraging me and when I did finally move into sport he was a wonderful help you know even though I was at an opposition paper and he was still subbing at the age when I joined them again as chief footy writer in 1999 
and oh, just a gorgeous gentleman, but obviously a brilliant editor, and was editing the paper at times of massive stories, such as um, when the age when Peter McFarlane and Alan Shield broke the World Series cricket story, you know, which was one of the biggest stories that I can remember in the early 80s. Yeah, look, it, it, he has not been well in recent years. I know Dad's visited him a few times, and um, I heard it was a lovely service. It and was. it's just sad that when you go to those things, you know, you catch up with all these great people, and you think, why oh, don't we you do it get more together often. more often? It's, why is it only when people it's, die? It's just strange how we do that, isn't it? It's like a school reunion, but there's more affection in the room, and there was such a lot of love, and I think, I think Jeff and Mike Sheehan should be very proud of themselves. So that was my. That's what I've been up to while you've been away, and I've also been up to uh, going to art galleries. I've been to the NGV to the I've MoMA s- exhibition. I oh, sorry, I actually went to MoMA not long ago. So, but that's oh, the be- actual <laughs> MoMA in New York. Oh, that's right, that, Miss Jane. That was another one of her holidays when we had to pad it for three weeks while she was no two weeks. Goodness me, I must two be. Owed, I must be. Owed, this podcast owes me about seven and a half weeks. Holiday. I've heard it's fantastic. Look, it is good. It's on until October. It's part of the uh, Melbourne Winter Masterpieces series, which means which has been going since two thousand and four. Each year, the NGV managed to pull a few favours and bring in some amazing artwork. They theme it. Uh, they reconfigure their entire exhibition space on the ground floor. People paid money to get in, and it's just a huge success. Well, they're renovating the Modern Art Museum in New York, so the National Gallery jumped in. And it's it, look, this is just a fabulous uh, exhibition and a great opportunity to say when you walk in, Caro. There's just you walk into a, to a wall, which a, a petition, which you then walk around into the bigger gallery space, and on this wall are just very simply the introduction to the exhibition and four paintings. One is a Georges-Pierre Serrault, one is a Vincent van Gogh, one is a Paul Gauguin and one is a Cezanne and that's it and that's the start of the move into modern art. So we're looking at roughly 130 years of art and the collection is extraordinary what's come to Australia. It's not as, not as many pieces as I thought, but it's so compelling and the stories behind them. You could, re- you could be reading the, um, the wall captions for four hours, museum overload. But I love looking at where did the artwork come from and the bequests. You can imagine high society in New York. Oh, I there know. There are Rockefellers. There are Guggenheims. You would have struck that. And there's an interesting person... Um, she's she's given a lot of artwork. Her name is I'll find it in a minute. Lily P. Bliss. Yep, yep. I want to read a story on Lily P. Bliss. Well, the the, the the people who buy and donate art and distribute this art are almost as interesting when you when you read about the impressionists and you're all the other whatever movement you you know you're interested in. It's so fascinating. Their lives as well. Oh, I, 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 mean, I just want to know who she Peggy is. Peggy Guggenheim. I mean, she's one of the most fascinating <laughs> women you know, of, of the last century. Oh, well, good. I'm looking forward to that. So it had, it just, for me, it had this, the elements, so many elements that make a great art exhibition work. I love a clean white space, I have to say. And I like space to move between the artworks, especially with crowds. Uh, that's a no-brainer. I mean, that's what they do. But sometimes there's a tendency to overdo it and people, curators stuff stuff into little spaces and there's it's just too complicated and I like the well-written wall labels and I love it when the paintings talk to one another so it'll be really obvious what the curatorial intent is it's, you're not just walking past looking at pictures so this is a real development of how modern art right through to the 60s Andy Warhol 70s 80s and beyond and then a well-stocked shop at the end of it oh perfect MoMA product galore I could have gone nuts and in fact, Coco and I were tidying up the piles of books together, <laughs> which we said is really like going on a busman's holiday. That is ridiculous. And they do a good tote bag at those exhibitions, don't they? Great tote bags. Great vases. Good yeah. postcards. So all of that. So I highly recommend it. But it made me think about great art exhibitions that you and I have been to over the years, sometimes together and sometimes not. What comes to mind when you think about a great art exhibition? Well, the most recent one, and I think I talked to you about it, was at the um, National Gallery of Adelaide, the Adelaide Art Gallery, which was um, The Colours of Impressionism. And it's funny because I bought a postcard there and it said it was by Seurat, yeah. but in fact it was a Sisley. Oh, and incorrect I, caption. Yeah, it, the po- it had the wrong name on the back. And I bought the postcard and I, I went over to the painting. I thought, have I gone insane? I love this painting. It's a beautiful, I think it's, I think it's Sisley. It was, anyway, it was a coastal shot of um, Marseille. And I went to the woman, I said, look, 
do you realise this isn't? She said, we get all these from overseas. Don't blame. I said, but isn't that a bit weird that you're selling a postcard with the wrong classic anyway? So she, that was, just, she said, piss off, pedant. It's still going. It's a wonderful exhibition. If you're in Adelaide, go and see it. And it's a great gallery. But most favourite in recent years is there was a Sisley exhibition last year in the middle of the year in Aix-en-Provence. And he is my favourite or my mum's favourite of all the Impressionists. And I think I'm agreeing with her now. And MoMA last year had... You know, I know I'm sounding like a complete travel, you know, pain in the neck, but yep. it was a history of fashion over the years. But they chose a fashion item and they did it from like the 16th century to now. So there was the tunic over the years. Oh, how interesting! And then there was the or the shoe or something. Yeah, well, there were there was certainly different the clog, to the coat in. dress. It was an absolutely um, the see to- that's curatorial intent. The toga. That's the cleverness. Of really, it. really clever. And my favourite artist in the world, Ed- Edward Hopper. I've seen one at the Tate Modern. That was about oh, that was during the London Olympics. So that was two thousand and ten on a rare day off. And then there was one at the Grand Palais in Paris in two thousand and thirteen, where they went back to Edward Hopper's old travel magazines that he used to. He was a graphic artist. It was an artist for a mag. He used to paint all the covers of the magazines. And they had all his original magazine covers for about three years. I oh, know it was fantastic. Well, look, there are so many that come to my mind, but one in particular, the first of the Melbourne Winter Masterpieces in 2004 when I was working at the gallery was the French Impressionist paintings from the Musée d'Orsay. So all this art was just being brought into the building over a three- or four-week period. And uh, one of my jobs was to get as much coverage as we could. And so one of the Sunrise or those sorts of programs, I can't remember which. This is when you, in fact, worked at the gallery. Yeah, I was at the gallery. and um, we were head of media. And they... No, Director of Communications. Oh, sorry. And well, Audience Engagement. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you make me sound like a little PR, PR girl. You weren't a PR girl. You were, well, media's <laughs> a pretty big job, so you're media executive. Not just media. It was lots of other things. Anyway, the Sunrise crew, or whoever they were, were, were arriving at five o'clock. So you can imagine how many um, hoops I had to jump through to get the security guards and, you know, all of a sudden interview the curator. The curator saying, I don't want to get up at six o'clock. But Those fun. curators were very precious. <laughs> but, it, but, it, I remember but at about 10 to 6, as the crew's setting up and they're going live at 7 and everything's happening, I walked into the exhibition space for, I think, the second time. They had just finished it. And I stood in front of Starry Night by Vincent van Gogh, just him and I, just hanging out. No one there, not one person, not one guard, no one there. Oh, just wow. me and the artwork. Yeah, and then I took it home. <laughs> you did not. <laughs> you did not. You know the which is the Channel Nine breakfast show, the one oh, with Carl Stefanovic and Georgie Gardner. Sunrise, sunset. Anyway, they're in Melbourne this week, and it was so funny having you know literally just got back from being on the other side of the world and going in early on Monday morning to get my hair done at Channel Nine, and it was all of a tears because the Sydney they've all moved down to Melbourne, obviously to give Melbourne a bit of a bit of a rev up because I'm not I assume it's to get their Melbourne ratings going because. I think in Sydney they probably rate better than they do in Melbourne. Remember what we say about about television radio, uh, t- breakfast television. What it's a Sydney affectation. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd, maybe maybe that's why none of them actually spoke to me. No, they wouldn't even wouldn't have known me for manner. But it was quite interesting. It was a very <laughs> they don't interesting know football up there. It was very interesting morning. Don't they get your show up there? Speaking of football. What about the Adelaide Crows? I told yeah, you that camp was going to get them into trouble. <laughs> Question to Jared was because it was the amazing game, Richmond Cats, which you missed. And, you know, I was sitting, wet and I was sitting, sitting on it? the sofa having another Pinot actually with Pete. And I said, oh, could you fill it up? Thanks. That'd be great. That's not what I said to Pete. That's what I'm saying to you. And I noticed you've moved and, James' uh, <laughs> beautiful camellias. Well, I, I thought I was worried I was going to knock them over. And the lovely with my olive, olive hand towel I bought her especially. I don't want to get red wine on the, on the new hand towel. So. Pete and I were watching the footy, and I said to him, you know, Richmond, we, we both agreed, not only the team to beat, but that was just, that was a class act game. Like, they, they won that game well and well and truly. Did, and you, did you tip them in your tips? Uh, no, I went for the Cats. But, a rare uh, victory over you. A but, rare victory. Um, so I asked Jared about this game. I said, is Richmond the one to beat? You know, we're halfway through the season. Is Richmond the one to beat? And then I said to him, so what's the low light? And he said, Adelaide. So tell me what, it, tell me what it's all about. Well, look. In in truth, they've had they've been decimated by injuries. They came back from the grand final loss mentally, be, mentally in trouble. He said they didn't take it very well at all. No, and and they were and a lot of them came back. A few players came back out of shape, which they're now admitting. 
they tried to fast track a lot of their training programs and their high performance stuff because, of course, when you're playing a grand final, you have you know less preseason than anyone else. That's one of the perks, one of the downsides. And as a result, they overdid it and they deny some of the allegations about their preseason program, but a lot of hamstring injuries. And now there's a lot of just collision injuries that they've suffered as well. So they've been unlucky with injuries. They you know, people were critical even of Taylor Walker, the captain's speech after the grand final, felt it was a bit ungracious, too short and not very sporting. I didn't have such a problem with that. Then, Jared intimated there's a problem with the coach. Well, Jay, and they lost Jake Lever, who was a great defender, to Melbourne, and they didn't take that very well. They also lost Charlie Cameron to Brisbane. They didn't take that very well. He didn't feel welcome at the best and fairest. Jake Lever, I don't think, even went... And then, of course, this collective minds group, this group of blokes, not trained psychologists, who'd been helping them all year, who helped develop this so-called Power Ranger stance when they stood there looking tough before the game and eyeing off the other team, sort of the new new AFL version of the hucker, I suppose. Um, everyone thought that was brilliant until they capitulated against Richmond. Then they look like a bunch of fools. And um, uh, look... The Collective Minds camp, and I said this to you when I wrote the story back at the start of the year, it really upset some of the Indigenous players. There were cultural issues within this camp that were just not appropriate. And Like what? Well, there was a, a sacred symbol at the opening of this session, and one of the Indigenous players felt his people were connected with this stick or this symbol and wasn't sure whether that was the correct way of using it. There was talk of rites of passage, which has a whole new meaning if you're indigenous, to Indigenous yeah, people. Players were blindfolded on a bus and taken to a certain place. The Richmond theme song was played by Rote at one point. I mean, it sort of sounds all pretty bizarre. As Brett Burton, the head of football, said, you sort of had to be there, and it was like, yeah, but it sounds even weirder. Are these the nice chaps who came and visited us last year and Corrie, loved you? Now they hate you. Corrie, that was Port Adelaide. Oh, sorry. Okay. They... They don't hate me. They hate Adelaide. The only people happier than Richmond... The ones who took you to that lovely restaurant and plied you full of Grand Hermitage. They didn't... No, no, no. They they were Adelaide. Yes, I thought they were nice Adelaide. Oh, the ones who came here were Port Adelaide. Yeah, that was Ken Hinckley and Keith Thomas. Corrie, (laughs) what's the difference? The only people happier... In fact, I reckon Port Adelaide was happier than Richmond when Richmond beat Adelaide. Port Adelaide, they had their own celebration. Forget the Tigers. For Port Adelaide, that was like a victory of their own when Adelaide lost the grand so who final. So bought, who bought you the Grand Hermitage? They despise it. That was um, Mark Bickley and and in and in particular, well, you know, Stephen Are they Rowe, talking to you still? Mark Bickley and Stephen Rowe are my Adelaide radio people on 5AA and Stephen Rowe and I had a bet. He's a former Crows player and I bet on Richmond and he bet on Adelaide and I won, so he took me out. And I did the interview with Tex Walker about the camp, the captain, where he said that the Indigenous players didn't like it. Not everyone liked it. They probably wouldn't do it again. Well, what happened last week is that the club held a press conference on a Saturday announcing they were severing ties with this group, Collective Minds. And it really just, because it wasn't well handled and because even though they were putting their hand up. They sort of didn't put their hand up. You know when people hold press conferences and they, continue have, to deny? Okay, so if, it was you're, a worse, if you're an organisation and you decide that you're no longer going to use somebody's services, somebody who's below the radar, like not head of football, but they're below the radar, do you actually hold a press conference to say, oh, we're sacking these people or we're severing ties? With hindsight, it was probably a mistake. Oh, They were trying to be transparent oh, and open cares? themselves up. They weren't transparent. But it's not, a, it's not a sort of stop the presses issue. It's been a big story, this camp. I mean, and I don't pretend to have broken it, but once I found out about it, some so of the big stuff James fallen asleep over there. But yeah. Anyway, so that's Adelaide, and if they don't make the finals, despite all their injuries, that is mm. that is a real problem. And I think the coach will have to, despite all the credits he has in the bank, would be under some form of pressure for allowing some of the things that happened to go on and not managing the loss as well as he should have. Richmond, on the other hand. Still, okay. still yep. can't win out of out of Melbourne, but continue to win at the MCG and have a very big game in a couple of days. Books, screen, food. Over to you, Carol. This is your entire segment. Well, I read a lot when I was away, and I absolutely love the Italian teacher, the book you gave me for my, or one of two books you gave me for my birthday. But you've already reviewed that, so all I can say is everybody read it. It's wonderful. But Anna from the op shop and I swapped books when we got to um, the the rental on the beautiful Ionian Sea and she gave me a book by Christine Mangan a young uh, an American author 
who's written a book called Tangerine. It's been compared to Gillian Flynn and Patricia Highsmith and Daphne du Maurier and Donna Tartt. But it's, it's a, the setting is unbelievable. You know, do, you when, agree that, do you agree that she's in that league? No. Right. Um, but I can see why there was a $1.1 million bidding war. I can see why Scarlett Johansson and George Clooney's production company starring Scarlett Johansson is looking at optioning this film, or maybe they have optioned it, this story. It's a story of a toxic friendship between two young women, and it is set largely in Tangiers, in Tangiers, is that how you pronounce it? In Morocco, yeah, Tangier, yeah. in the 19, late 40s, early 50s. There's spy, there's murder, there's... You know, the narrator's account and do you really believe it? You know, a, a bit like, I suppose, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, one of my favourite novels. But it it doesn't quite get there in the end, but it is nonetheless a brilliant read, something great to read if you're on a holiday or travelling. And she, her, her, the way she sets the tone and the atmosphere is absolutely brilliant. Um, one of the women is married and has moved with her rather suspicious husband to Tangiers. The other one just turns up after a very strange sequences, series of events back when they were um, in New England. So there must be a bit of noise about in this In Vermont book. at university. Tangerine, Tangerine came out earlier in the year, Yep. but it, it, has, it didn't do much. And then in the last month, and this is where Instagram is so interesting, there are so many good book Instagrams. One in particular to watch is Reese Witherspoon. She always has great tips. But something has happened with this book and people are coming in. We've sold out and we keep reordering, reordering. There's a bit of word of mouth, like your Syracuse. Yeah, well, you're there. You're there. You're in the place. And there's a similarities to Syracuse too, actually. It is, look, it, when I say it, it just falls, there's a couple of bits at the end. I went, oh, but you know what? No, it's still a very good book and I would highly And what else did it. you read just quickly? I read. Well, well did you do our thing of go do a contemporary novel yes, and then go back because, and do an old one? Because believe it or not, I ran out of books. But I read Ghost, which um, Brendan also read, which is I can't remember the author, but it became a movie. The Ghost Writer, starring Ewan McGregor, absolutely brilliant. Oh movie yeah, um, even better book. Um, so really enjoyed that oh, one. Harris, Robert Robert Har- Robert Harris, think so. And then um, I. I rediscovered, because I was on a Greek island and in the Ionian Sea, Mary Stewart's This Rough Magic, which is just one of her all-time greats. She was a great writer, mm. Mary Stewart. And, you know, reading about this place... She always reminds it, me of Elizabeth Jane Howard. You know, I sort of yeah, put in a similar kind of... Slightly, she's slightly more um, cliched, maybe, or maybe a bit more dated. Maybe a bit more dated, but it was written in 1964. And to read about Corfu in 1964, and it's sort of a murder mystery, and, the, you know, there's dolphins and an actress, you know, taking time out from a role on the West End, you know, going to stay with her married sister who's married a rich um, English guy or Greek guy. And look, it's really, really good. So I'd recommend This Rough Magic. What, oh, I was. I seem to be reading books all the time. I love the White Houses. The oh, White, did you? By which, Amy Bloom. Yeah, which is um, about, of course, Eleanor Roosevelt. Yeah, and, El- and, and Lenore Hick, the relationship um, famous with, journalist yeah. who they became lovers, yeah. Yep, so I, I really love that one too. No, I, I read heaps. And you know, Hick lived in the White House for about nine years in the room next to Eleanor's bedroom was here and Hicks was here and they had a timber door between them. Well, I do know that now because I've read the book. <laughs> the The other fascinating one was the person who wrote... There's a lot of sex in White, White Houses, didn't you think? Mm, and not all of it heterosexual. <laughs> um, I you also, suddenly look like your mother then. I really, I really enjoy, um, I enjoyed, but I found it, it's called, I think it's called The Drowning Pool, which is by the person who wrote... The Girl on the Train, which was a massive hit a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, no, not The Drowning Pool. Um, the, the dr- no, Into the Water. Into the Water. Paula Hawkins. It's a tosser of a book. The, the drowning, Don't get me started. The Drowning Pool is the book no, that the author, yeah. that the narrator yes, is that's writing. Right. She's writing. Or the victim, one of the murder victims was writing at the time she was murdered. I, I, it, the review on the back, it was also in the house where we were staying, said, this is even better than Girl on a Train. I thought, nah. well, this will be a good beach read. No. Nah. No. Nah. And sort of creepy and weird. Oh, no, just I didn't like that at all. No, but I really um, like Tangerine. Now, because you had air flight issues, you would have watched quite a few films, I would imagine. Look, I'm just going to talk about two productions. One is TV and one is film. Both involve... When did you watch TV? Well, when you're on planes now, Corrie, you can watch, you know, miniseries box sets. Oh, yes, I did do that with Apple Tree Yard. Yeah, it yeah. got me all the way to Dubai. That was on. <laughs> well, both these stories involve the disappearance of a child. 
and both are black and bleak, but in their own way, absolutely brilliant. The TV one was a BBC four-part series called Kiri, um, starring that gorgeous Sarah Lancashire, who we love from the Happy Happy Valley and Last Tango in Halifax. Oh, Caroline. Yeah, she's Caroline, the former school principal, who, <laughs> principal who's also gay. Derek Jacobi's daughter. She is absolutely – no, she's actually not Derek Jacobi's daughter. She's, oh, yeah, the other one. Yeah. Um, what's the name of that actress again? Sarah, anyway. Sarah Lancashire. No, I mean the mother. Oh, yes. Anyway, anyway, off topic. We are sounding really like two um, old women, but Kiri, it's called. And Sarah Lancashire plays a social worker who takes a young black child who's living in foster care to visit her biological grandparents. The biological father, the mother is dead. She died of a drug overdose many years earlier. The biological father is just out of jail um, on a series of drug convictions. And he's not a savoury person. And the white family, including a mother and a father and a boy, who she's living with, are a bit not sure about the visit, but they go along with it because Sarah Lancashire convinces them that it's okay. The child disappears. And what happens in this four-part series, it's all about... It's about foster care. It's about social workers in their lives and what they do. It's about black versus white. It's about whether white children should be with black families or black children should be with white families. It is, and it's a it's a murder mystery. It's chilling. Well, that, would, that would keep you going to Athens. It's called Kiri. The other one that I saw was, um, it's a Russian film. It's still on here at some cinemas. Like, you'll still get it at the Nova. You'll still get it at Kino. It's called Loveless. It looks so bleak I didn't see it in Melbourne. David Stratton gave it, I think, four and a half stars. It is. It was um, nominated for the um, the foreign Oscar. It was one of the five, not well, ten nominations. Um, the director's name is Audrey... Oh. Zuigastinev, I think you pronounce it. Perfect Russian. Dasvidanya. A couple, a couple who are Carol, breaking up. did you up. have to read, on an aeroplane, did you have to read subtitles? Oh, I don't, I, that's fine. Oh, it doesn't bother I can't me. stand it. Look, this was Russia in its bleakest. It is Russian politics. It's Russian social life. It's Russian life at its bleakest. A couple is breaking up. Neither of them really wants this gorgeous and sad little boy who cries all the time and he disappears. It is brilliant. It's tough. Watch it. So when you're onto your fifth Pinot, you were sobbing, <coughs> sobbing in the aisles. I don't drink Pinot on planes, Corrie. You know that. Anyway, so I really recommend Loveless. I really recommend Kiri, K-I-R-I. And now tell me you're not so perfect that you – tell me you haven't cooked since you've been back because if you have whipped up something in the three days since you've been back, I'll be sick with envy. I came back and decided, you know how you do, you're going to turn over a new leaf. You're oh. going to put moisturiser <laughs> oh, on every that day. Old, yeah, not that old. Oh, you, I'm going to walk up mountains every morning. Not only on your face, but also on your legs. I'm going to get regular massages. I'm going to get I'm going facials. to read more. I'm going to cook vegetarian food. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to lose weight. Well, I was reading the, um, the Weekend Australian, in fact, when I was um, on my last leg of my flight because we had to stop in Sydney. Craig Bellamy was on the plane actually late on Saturday night. That was a bit of a I'm back in town sort of moment. But there was this section by Dave, oh, David um, Herbert. Sorry, can I just jump in? Famous famous people you're on an aeroplane with. Yeah. Um, Francesca went up to Queensland to meet Charlie, who's on a course, with Hattie, and she was just as nervous as all get out about this, um, you know, having the one-and-a-half-year-old on the lap, how am I going to cope? Who was there to help her? Bill and Chloe Shorten. Wow. Love tats they did, apparently. Oh, well, she's so gorgeous. How, how could they not love her? I'm happy to hear that. So anyway. He gets my vote. A good, a good local tip, and this isn't the good local tip, <laughs> Corrie, you're easily bought um, and brought, um, is to look at the recipes in the weekend newspapers. Because the, the good weekend, the ages one on Saturday, Sydney Morning yeah, I agree one, with that. is brilliant. And the Australian one has good one too. So this is roasted vegetables with hummus dressing. I've texted all Miss Jane, but it involves a lot of beetroots, sweet potato, cauliflower cut into large florets, garlic, extra virgin olive, virgin olive oil, dried chilli, lots of broccoli, chick, a whole can of chickpeas, um, pecans, roasted, just a few, chopped mint and lemons, and a lemon that's halved. Now, all of this, except for the lemon, is roasted at various stages, and it gives you the stages. I can't, I can't get the beetroot taste with all of that. That Will would you, be like the odd... You actually boil the, the beetroots and then you – the first ones you roast are the beetroot and the cauliflower together. Corrie, 
Then you make hummus dressing, which involves half a cup of hummus. Just go and buy a nice hummus. Two tablespoons of more extra virgin olive oil. Not <laughs> Hello out there. Maybe Mr. Cobram, although I had some pretty good extra virgin olive oil. Hello, over Mr. In Greece. Cobram. Um, Don't forget if you'd like to sponsor our podcast. Two tablespoons of fresh lemon juice, teaspoon of tahini, optional. Well, you know, with a twenty-one at home, twenty-one-year-old at home, there was always tahini in the fridge, along with almond milk and frica and all that sort of stuff. Water and dried chili. And as I said, Jane will put the recipe up. You whip all that up and make a dressing. You get the veggies out. You put the dressing on top with some lemon juice. Curry, bloody divine. Really? Absolutely and healthy. And I can't believe you came home and cooked. Well, that was Sunday. I had to do something. After We're just I going off fish and chips. No, no, no. I was just determined to um, start off on the right turn note. Over your new leaf. Anyway, so it was absolutely yummy. And I that, bet if you see another Greek salad, you'll be sick. No, you'd love the well, Greek salad. Well, it's funny. When we do Footy Classified, there's always a Greek salad as part of our pre-show meal. Oh, that would be disgusting. Well, no offence, Channel 9 Catering. No, no, no. But well, I just have a vision No, of, they've got this catering and the Greek a, salad's a, a, been a really nice. glass bowl with some tragic... No, well, it's not in a glass bowl. It's in a bit of tin foil. But anyway... <laughs> but it's Worse. A real, Imagine the it, quality of the olives. It's not, oh, they'd be disgusting. Okay, it's Straight not... Straight out of Coles Supermarket. It's not like the one that you would have had in Crete or Lefkada, but it normally has, you know, green peppers, lettuce, tomato, olives, and a bit of red onion and feta on top. And you know how in Greece they do the full slab of feta, which I just love. Anyway, on Monday night, grated tasty cheese. Oh, can see, you believe I'll re- it? I rest my case. Chris, Channel 9 Catering, have a good hard look Chris at Chris Judd wasn't happy and neither was I. We were both very disappointed in the – I don't think Craig actually eats a Greek salad. No, I didn't so. know Juddy was a foodie. Oh, he's he's going on the non-carbs at the moment, which I did think was pretty funny. I said, me too, and I'm looking at me and looking at him and going, which one of these people really needs to go off carbs? Certainly not you, Chris. Anyway, Corrie, that's BSF of the week. Now, you're grumpy. I'm a, I'm grumpy about a couple of things. I'm grumpy that I didn't go to Greece, but I'm and I'm grum. Really, You've been very good about it. Oh, and I've I've, I've worked very through it. magnanimous. I'm, I've worked. I've enjoyed Melbourne winter. We're planning next year, so uh, that's why. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to Greece next year, but I, one thing I was really grumpy about. I'd actually forgotten about this when I spoke to you yesterday about what I was grumpy about. I I I just thought. The I don't really care. Do you jacket worn by First Lady Melania Trump when she went to visit the mm. family detention centres in Texas last week? I mean, Melania, that was as funny as sick. That was just pathetic. Yes. It really makes me angry. Now, what I am grumpy about is that um, there's been a lot of television watching, not of the free to air kind, Caro, Netflix, Stan, Foxtel. And so because we're just, you know, we have no life. We have it hooked up at the rental in Melbourne and our real house down at the beach, we have all sorts of things hooked up there through our phones and stuff. And it just, I don't know whether it's the gods up, the television gods, it's Murphy's Law that every time that you're in a bit of a bad mood with one another, you know, burnt the steak, you know, before we have dinner, before we go and watch our Netflix or something, if you're a bit snarly with each other, the thing that's really going to exacerbate it (laughs) is the person who picks up the remote control and who inevitably makes the mistake under the relationship pressure, who, like, suddenly the screen goes blank or suddenly it freezes or suddenly you can't find your path back to the program. Yeah, You're surely, on Outlander, but Pete, you really be the one who takes over, surely. No, Brenda Noyes no, is in our house. No, well, this is with the, the thing. I mean, the other night, can it. you believe these words came out of my mouth? This is what came out of my mouth. This is a shock. My children will be mortified to hear me say that. I said, You're the man of the house. Fix the bloody thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised at all to hear we you said ha- that. We have had so many fights over this thing. And at the moment, and I will review it next week, um, on Stan, we're up to season three of Billions, which is really doing my head in because I'm becoming angry and narkier about money every every episode I watch and why I don't have any. But honestly, the other night, it just, it, it just it froze. And I said, well, you're the, you know, you're the uh, computer expert. You fix it. And this whole kind of thing, I ended up, grabbing my cup of tea and going up to bed saying, that's it. Yeah, I'm never I'm never watching this with you, you again. You spoiled Brett. Oh, it wasn't I'm, Pete's fault. Totally. He did something. Anyway, now we've had I'm a just saying that the anguish that occurs over Netflix slash Stan slash Foxtel is just, I know it's a first world problem. 
Oh, no, look. I know no, it's a first world no, problem, but, but when, it's a really serious really, marital problem. When you're really loving a show, Brendan on the plane fell in love with Gunpowder, which is sort of the story of Guy Fawkes, and it was had a rave review by Graham Blundell in The Weekend Australian about two months ago. So he said, I'll watch it. I said, watch that, Gunpowder. I've watched the first one. It's really good. Oh, you you were comparing little... Yeah, yeah, on the plane. And and then then I got got taken by Kiri and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, oh, and goodbye, Christopher Robin. Oh, that was wonderful. Oh, no, don't. I'll cry. story of A.M. Yeah, I cried when I watched that. I hadn't seen that. Anyway, so we get home and he said, oh, I was loving Gunpowder, but they only had three episodes. I said, it'll be on Foxtel. Because it was on when we went away, and I'm sure, well, he tried Stan. No, he didn't try Stan. He tried ABC iView. He tried SBS On Demand. He tried every possible. I said, it's on Foxtel. Try I'm so, look, I'm just so So he Googled it. it. He said BBC first. I said, I told you it was on Foxtel. <laughs> well, he's, he's, there's another gunpowder one with another name, the gunpowder plot, but it's disappeared from our screens, and he couldn't find it. The other well, night. he could he could actually get it on he could get it on his laptop and sit in bed and drive you crackers oh, and watch but, that, which yeah. I have actually done with Outlander a couple of times when I lost it in the Netflix Netherland, and I thought I've got to watch this next episode, so I took it to bed with no Pete wonder, going. What's all that Scottish music? No wonder the head of the NRL said today that um, AFL isn't our biggest rival; it's Netflix. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. Okay, on to six quick questions, Caro. Corrie, have you ever sent a fan letter or an email to a writer? Yes, I did last week, Caroline. I wonder why you wanted me to ask you that question. <laughs> Who, Corey? His name is Dan Pfeiffer. Um, Miss Jane will probably know him. He's on Pod Save America, and he was also he's, he was the uh, comms advisor to President Obama, and he is now a senior media lecturer. He's eminent. He's huge. He's fabulous. And did you I write love him. him a gushing letter? Well, I did because he has a new book coming out, which is called Yes, We Still Can. It will come as no surprise, Caro, to realise that it has a democratic slant, anti-Trump, you know, vision. But um, I sent him an email saying, Dear Dan, love your work (laughs) on Pod Save America. I'm a bookseller in Australia and I just wondered how I could find your book because I've looked everywhere through the Australian distributors and I can't find who's distributing it. Not a word from Dan. He hasn't come back to you? No, but lovely Mandy from Hardy Grant sort of piped in and said, actually, Corey, I can't, so I've ordered the copies there. Um, but I did have success a couple of years ago. Do you remember that wonderful book, The Last Painting of Sarah DeVos? Yes. Dominic Smith, who now really lived, who that. now lives in Texas, is actually an Australian, and he married an American, and he has American children, and now he's become an American citizen. So when I read the last painting of Sarah DeVos, I sent him a note, you know, yes. hi Dominic from home. Uh, we've got a bookshop in Melbourne. If ever you're here, if ever you're coming home, like to visit the family or something, we'd love to host an event in your honour. I received an email back in 24 hours. Well, funny you should say that. I'm coming on a PR tour for The Last Painting of Sarah DeVos. Love to come to your bookshop. The long and short of it was, Cara, 115 people in the shop listening to Dominic talk about this book, all because I sent him a fan mail. Like, I get really embarrassed doing that stuff. You know, I love your work. I would never normally do that. But it paid huge dividends. It's great. When was the last time you wrote someone a fan that you've never met before? I bet a long you don't. Time. They go, oh, my God, Caroline Wilson's in my inbox. I wrote a letter. <gasps> oh, when my I, God, Caroline sent me an email. I wrote a letter when I was in year, in either form. No, oh, I'm talking about middle-aged woman, which well, you are. When I was at school, I wrote a letter to Ivan Hutchinson saying how much I loved his Channel <laughs> 7 Corey midday and I, movie. My friend Corey and I wag our classes and, to watch well, you. I was still doing it back at school. And in, well, I suppose it was must have been year 10 or 11. I we said, used to rock up Miss RMIT and your mum would say, oh, girls, okay, upstairs, watch the television. Uh, my, well, that was room. when videos were invented. So we used to work out – we had the the beauty of videos. Uh, videos. Anyway, I said to Ivan, I love your midday movie so much that sometimes I pretend I'm sick and I stay home from school just to see you. And he wrote back to me. He said, you must never miss school. You must <laughs> never pretend you're sick. I thought he was going to say – do you know how many times I hear that? How responsible was he? I still remember being at the, um, what was that wonderful cinema that was at the top of Turak Road near Punt Road? Oh, Longford. I remember being at the Longford Cinema one night with my mum watching now a movie apartment block. when Ivan Hutchinson died and the owner of the Longford came out, Natalie. Natalie, uh, yes. Came out and told the Miller. audience, Natalie Miller told oh. the audience that Ivan Hutchinson died. Oh, you would have died. all cried. It was a very, very, anyway, 
going completely off topic, and okay. it is meant to be quick questions. Yeah, sorry. Oh, no, I like the diversion. I haven't seen you for ages. Lots to talk about. There is. Okay, so like Steve Smith, have you ever been drunk a lot? Have you ever drunk alone in a bar in Tribeca? Several times and really enjoyed it. And wasn't it wonderful the way all of Australia united in absolute disgust against that ridiculous News Limited article that I got home from Footy Classified on Monday night and Brendan was reading it to me only because he we were interested to know if it was one of the bars that I'd been to with the kids when we stayed in Tribeca last year. And the article said, you know, disgraced Australian cricket captain, sad, almost sad and lonely <laughs> in a bar. Well, that's what you do when you go overseas. One idea of heaven. Early, a few days before any of the family arrived. Oh, early in our trip this time, um, when the jet lag was still sort of vaguely upon us. In fact, it was my birthday. We'd had the lovely lunch. We went upstairs at about six o'clock for a bit of an afternoon. Okay, let's not go too far into your bedroom. No, it was an afternoon sleep. Okay, the, enough. No, but Brendan just never... Too much information? No, no, nothing's going to happen. Brendan never woke up from the afternoon sleep. So at about nine o'clock, I thought, you know, I can't just... You know, we've had a lovely long lunch. I'm hungry. No, well, I wasn't hungry. I wasn't even anything. But I thought, I've got to go for a walk. So I ended up in a little bar overlooking, you know, it was in St. Paul de Vence, this lovely village overlooking the Mediterranean. Oh, the lights bon were out. And I, I did May have, I buy you an aperitif? I briefly chatted to oh, a couple disgusting. of the locals. You're a tart. No, but I was alone and having a glass of rosé and I couldn't have been happier. And this article that News Limited ran on their website from Monday night, still running Tuesday, they reworded it completely because they knew they'd made an absolute dick of themselves. And all their readers were even saying, you're a disgrace. What are you doing stalking this poor man? They said all he had for company was his phone. Well, I mean, he was probably taking photos. Looking at his Instagram. Yeah, or or texting his wife. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And yes, I have, and it was most enjoyable. Corrie, what's this Facebook post you've been watching over and over again? I reckon I've watched it about 13 times and I cry every time at the end. So British actor and TV host James Corden, I don't know whether you know him, he does a carpool karaoke, which is, you know, really big in the States. You get famous people driving in, like yep. Jerry Seinfeld, driving in and picking up Obama. So James Corden is going on the phone. Yep, hi, mate. Yep, I'm in Liverpool and I'm wondering if you can help me. I need somebody not just anybody, please, please help me. And, of course, who gets into the car but Paul McCartney, right? So there's the gag. Um, And Paul says, oh, I'll show you around. And then James says, oh, great, do you mind if we listen to some music, turns on the radio, and, of course, baby, you can drive my car. And then we sort of go through a whole lot of um, Lennon and McCartney songs, Penny Lane. So they take photographs of themselves outside the Penny Lane sign. They walk into this hair salon with this random woman who's doing, you know, someone's quaff. And she goes, oh, my God, it's Paul McCartney, like virtually drops all her rollers, you know, and Paul's standing there with James and they're singing Penny Lane. It was so wonderful. They sing Let It Be. They sing Blackbird. At one point, <laughs> at one point, J- James dresses up, you know, were you happy with your fashions? And so the first shot, he's got like the little mod, you know, the beatnik or the beat, yeah. Beatles haircut. And the next one, he's dressed in Sergeant Pepper's full outfit in the car <laughs> with Paul just looking at him. And the next one is completely, you know, off to the ashram with the yogi in, you know, hippie gear. It is hilarious. But the finale, Caro, is they go into a pub in Liverpool and um, I can't remember. I think they sing all, all You Need Is Love. I can't remember what they sing. But people outside can hear and and they capture people Honestly, going. Oh my God! Is that? That sounds like. That sounds like Paul McCartney. And they race into the pub. People are crying. The joy in the room, and he gives so willingly. It, I just. I love it. I watch it again and again. So you have. If you want to find it, potties. It's on Facebook, and just do a search on James Corden, C O R D E N, and put in carpool karaoke, and you'll find him with Paul McCartney. Caro, question for you: What was the big news story you kept hearing about while you were away? Hopefully none. Oh, definitely Donald Trump and Mexico and the border. I mean, and and the children being separated from their parents. Was the whole world out? Were the Greeks outraged? It it was just a massive, massive story. That was the the big international story. And, you know, we were in Crete for five days. It it began when we were leaving um, the mainland Greece and it just continued. Peter Thompson got a big run, I've got to say. Really? Yeah, he did. And... And obviously we watched a bit of CNN when we heard that he died and um, they were running some wonderful documentary stuff on Peter Thompson. But no, Donald Trump and 
what was going on, and then you know, then when he was sended, and then it. Oh, maybe I'll be allowed really... to talk about Trump a bit more now that you're engaged in oh, the topic. I am engaged in the topic. I just think it's. I, I still back my original view that it is so depressing, but it was just unbelievable. You know, the Fox coverage and how disgraceful it was. So disgraceful. And then all those, you know, those, you know, stars of you know Modern Family sort of hitting out and lashing out and quitting and, and, and you know, the dreadful wife and that dreadful outfit that you've referred to before. I mean, it was just – and the terrible, terrible vision of the families being mm. being separated and, and knowing that crying. all he needed to do was sign a paper or make a phone call. What a creep. Anyway, so that was a big story. Corrie, what is a myrmicorn? Myrmicorn. What do you think a myrmicorn might be? Well, Any does clues? it relate to mermaid? Yes. So it relates to half person, half fish? No. What's a corn half of? Well, it's um, a vegetable. <laughs> a unicorn. Correct. So two things okay. that don't really exist. Okay. So this is the new trend for people who have children under the age of seven. Miss Jane, take note here. Um, the new trend in book in books for children is the myrmicorn because it's like happy, happy. It's double happy. So the other day I said to Barry, my colleague in the bookshop, do you ever get the feeling that things have gone quiet for Pepper? Referring to Peppa Pig because she's just gone quiet on her shelves. Nobody's yep. buying her anymore. I'm not surprised. She, you know, she's a bombastic, foul old thing. But the new thing is myrmicorns. So they are part mermaid. So it's a unicorn head with a mermaid tail. And uh, I reckon I've seen about 14 books presented to me from various publishers in the last couple of months coming up to Christmas that have a myrmicorn as the hero. Well, maybe it's heroin. I'm actually not sure. Corrie, it's not even July. We're not coming up to Christmas. I'm buying October, November books now. Oh, for heaven's sake. That's my life. Who's your crush? Um, Jacinta Ardern. Isn't, oh, that, was, that was actually quite a big story. That was quite a big story. Well, she's only the second leader ever to give birth while in office. She got a big run in Greece. Benazir Bhutto was the first. And that, and that gorgeous husband and his daddy cardigan partner. outside the hospital, the partner. And um, Neve. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful little girl. I love the fact that a couple of, um, well, certainly a lot of commentators in Australia, I think Tom Elliott's one here in Melbourne on 3AW has spoken about, well, is she really, how can you actually be Prime Minister and have a baby when you're a woman? And he, he sort of tried that argument a few months I ago. I hope that he was shouted and, down you know, vigorously. How can you actually take six weeks off, you know, blah, blah, blah. He will put a foot wrong eventually. He must. He's a politician. But at the moment... It has nothing to do with motherhood. OMG. He is just a star. He looks fabulous. And that baby is such a pretty the baby. baby's But I, I fell in love with her after her parents she wore that are wonderful possum coat meeting the Queen. Yeah, love that. How elegant did she look? And what about when she came and embarrassed Malcolm Turnbull last year? She's fabulous. Absolutely love her. And I'm going to continue on a roll here, Corrie. I've got a GLT, but it's actually a GIT, a good international tip. This week. Well, it doesn't apply to most of us here in the room, does it, Jane? Two words, Corrie. It could be one with a hyphen. Hand luggage. I am not two going words, to... Two words, Caro. If I was Dave Austin, I'd be saying it's two bloody okay. words. Okay, all right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. You. Hand luggage. Don't even think about travelling overseas Oh, that's overseas right, because you, were, you were intending to, when we last talked on the podcast, mm. you were intending to stuff all your belongings into one little hand. And I did. How did you go? And it was a triumph. Did you roll or lay? Well, it was a, what do you no. mean? No. Did you roll your clothing oh, or did you lay I actually ro- rolled, I, I Not did. Not roll that. Of course I've, you rolled your hand like I bought two new dresses when I was away. Nothing, you know, just a really lovely sort of resort type maxi number from Crete. <laughs> And a lovely white linen number from the little Greek, Greek village, and I rolled them up to bring them home. It's almost like hearing too much about your sex life and in France. Yeah, you're talking about it. We just <laughs> fell asleep. Anyway, um, it was great because it just meant that you didn't have to wait for luggage. You know my three, three, three rule. What did you pack in your luggage? I reckon I packed about eight dresses in your hand luggage. Yep. Eight dresses. Well, those those pull on. And I, it's it's legal. I bought it at a sale. So somewhere. undies, bras, bathers. Yeah, three pairs of bathers, two nighties. No, no, two nighties. Yeah, two pairs of silk How pants. How many pairs of shoes? Runners, thongs, fit flops, and two pairs of half decent sandals. One of which I wore, and one the ones how, I. How big is your hand luggage? The Were ones you flying I, first class. No. No, you can do it. I mean, the runners take up a bit of room, and your sponge bag takes up a bit of room, but the. The fit flops and the thongs. Have you got tiny feet? 
No, I've got big feet. The what, the one pair of sandals I wore and wore and wore, and I turfed them at the end because they oh, were yeah, getting. I, do, I always, I getting, always take my worst pair of shoes and leave them. Well, I love them, but they were getting old, and they were sort of a bit threadbare anyway. And I. I turfed one dress when I was away because, you know, when you're away with a whole lot of other girls and they all have this lovely evening wear and I thought this all resort wear and this one sort of long long T-shirt number that I wore, you know, up prey swimming, I thought, no, it doesn't cut the mustard. It's been around for well, a few years You needed a bit of now. sparkle to compete. Needed a bit of sparkle. But, no, you can do it. It's easy. Well, when you're just packing summer, you don't need anything else and it is so much easier. It's the shoes that are the issue because we do like to take our runners because we like to do some, you know, yeah, pretend runners exercise. Were, Anna from the op shop did it without runners, but she, she was away for over four weeks, so I don't know how So she didn't she did go it. walking? Yeah, but she walked in fit-flops. Oh, no, that's that's not a real walk. She borrowed my runners one day when we were together. But on her own, she walked in fit-flops. So she had hand luggage for five weeks. You know, they were doing, they were doing you know, 20,000 steps a day in Menton. <laughs> but fit-flops are, you know, those shoes that they're – fit-flops are great because they're built up and they're shaped to your feet. And you can actually go on decent walks with them. I, you, you do need runners. So anyway, and on the way home, I admit Brendan carried my runners okay. in his sponge bag. Is, we could talk and, about this for hours. And if you buy a lot of stuff, if you buy things and you're worried about fitting it all in, just post it home. It's cheaper and it's easier than having a flipping suitcase. Anyway, that's my good local tip. Right. Well, thanks for that, It's lovely Cara. to see you again, Corrie. <laughs> it's lovely to see you. Thanks for bringing the wine. And Miss Jane, thanks for the early season camellias. They're beautiful. And thank you to all our potties for your Ms. correspondence. sorry Miss Jane got a present and you didn't. Yeah. Yours is in the mail because I had to send stuff home, as I previously said. Mine's at Porsche, Jane, so bad luck. <laughs> um, we appreciate all of you communicating with us. We love it. And you can rate or review us on your podcast provider, whatever that may be, or you can email us feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. We're on Twitter and we're on Facebook and you can also look at us on the Caro and Corey Instagram account and leave a message there because we love that. And it's lovely to have you back, Caro. Thank you, Jane. Thanks, Caro, for the wine. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger, Corey. <laughs> <laughs>